0: hello everybody and welcome back to trips m we have a special episode here number 10 little milestone for us uh glad to keep this rolling on and on we're always changing it up with uh the topics and the content but this week i wanted to focus on recapping the weekend's fixtures in the Premier league i know uh evan and i won't be able to do that won't be able to do that together uh on friday's episode because there will be matches going on middle this week so we will recap those matches and probably lightly touch on these ones to give you a broad overview overview going into the following matches but uh for the premier league pickem, if you guys haven't been following us on twitter at post 20 pod over there make sure you guys drop us a follow if you want to see the live updates to our records over there evan finished three and seven this week and I finished six and four, got got some nice little upsets there that we're gonna go over, but um, yeah, I guess let's just get right into it because uh, if you guys haven't seen, I posted on the Instagram story. Also, I post twenty pod over there, uh, the all my notes for breaking down each one of these games. Um, it's gonna be a lot. Hope this might be a thirty to forty minute episode. Uh, Hopefully, we can keep it around that 30-minute mark. That's what we shoot for here. Um, And yeah, I guess let's hop right into it. And then uh, after this, we're going to do the previews for the middle week matches. Evan sent me his his, uh, predictions. So it'll kind of be like he's here in spirit. And I can see his reasonings for what he picked. And then we're going to close out with the transfer window because today is the transfer deadline day. Uh, for the winter period in the in Europe, so we'll highlight that. That should be closing within the next hour as of recording this episode. So yeah, uh, let's actually get into it now. First match that happened over the weekend was Everton versus Newcastle. The final was 2-0 favoring Newcastle, which was a very surprising score to open up the weekend. Uh, Everton controlled possession, but couldn't convert their, their few chances, and really they had no excuse because they had argu- arguably their best lineup starting. Newcastle came out with a 4-4, 1-1, still with no St. Maximin in their starting 11. He adds a whole new dynamic out there for their wings. Uh, right now they play Jeff Hendricks, and uh, that youngster, I think Lewis, I forget his first name, Jacob, no. That's Jacob Murphy. That's a different team. There's a Lewis out there or something, but they're just not on the same level as St. Maxman, who did come in as a substitute. But Luca Dean was dangerous early on. Whipping balls in from the left wing, causing issues uh, for the Newcastle backline. That's what Everton's go-to thing is. is just whipping crosses in, and Newcastle plays similar style. But the attacking players for Newcastle responded well early with Almiron, and Ryan Fraser setting up great chances for John Joe and Count Wilson. Uh, Surprisingly, Hamas Rodriguez wasn't involved in the final third as much as Ancelotti would like. And as a spectator, or a neutral I should say, watching him involved, he just adds a whole new uh, level to that team and a new style, which is nice to watch. So having him on the ball more is what Everton would like to see but Richarlson took his spot picking up the ball in most of the dangerous areas in the first half and he skewed a lot of the shots wide of the goal. Uh, the first half ended 0-0, but played picked up right where it ended in the first half with chances from both sides just missing the mark. The first goal didn't come until the, ne- the 73rd minute, which had Callum Wilson in a header into the far corner of Jordan Pickford's net. Uh, it was a great ball from Jojo off the corner. Set pieces are where Newcastle can really punish teams this season. And Wilson was due for uh do do a goal after his performance up to this point, uh, creating mo- multiple chances in the first half. Uh but Everton did respond with a flurry of, of chances off corners, and Newcastle did respond well, uh, defending well in the day, staying organized and compact, and attacking the ball when in the air. Uh Ryan Fraser kept finding little pockets of space in between the midfield and defensive lines of Everton, creating chances for Callum Wilson to put on frame and to close the match in the 93rd minute Newcastle converted a counterattack doubling their lead and sealing the three points in their favor which they desperately needed. Uh, Wilson doubled his tally on the day marking his 10th league goal of the season. Which uh he he gets in spurts. He scores in spurts. He'll have a couple matches 3 4 without a goal and then he'll score maybe one or two and then he'll go on another little drought but that's how Newcastle is they're inconsistent in their form. But this this victory did relieve some pressure off Steve Bruce's back, the manager, and it showed that the team is still capable of earning points in this league. For Everton, though, on the other hand, this was a huge disappointment in my opinion, dropping points and falling to 8th position in the league. Uh, They still have a couple games in hand, which gives them an advantage of controlling their destiny moving forward. Uh, Moving on to the second match right after that, There were three matches simultaneously at the 10 o'clock window on Saturday, Uh, one of them being Crystal Palace defeating Wolves 1-0. It was an even game in possession, but Wolves created more scoring opportunities, uh, but just couldn't convert, which which has been their story of the season for Wolves. Uh, Palace came out in their routine 4-4-2, but with several changes to the starting 11. Uh, You had Nathaniel Klein, Scott Dan, Patrick Van Anhol, Ayu and Michi Batchawai all starting as replacements. So uh, Roy Hodgson was going with a very quick attack uh, with his forwards, wings, and also his fullbacks, who were very involved in the game. Wolves stayed with their 3-4-3, uh, but Ruben Neves and Adama Traore started on the bench with William Jose, the new signing, making a start up top, leading the, the attacking line. Palace on the attack looked dangerous with the pace and link-up play between Za Eze, Ayu, and Batshuayi. And like I said before, also with the inclusion of Van Anel and Klein as fullbacks, they ventured forward taking some shots on goal, testing Rui Patricio. The first half only had a handful of half-chances, ending nil-nil. Uh, Wolves looked the stronger of the two beginning the second half with them targeting their new signing, Jose. Uh, but Gaito was equal to them with three great chances uh, being stopped by him. Um, Eze scored the only goal of the match with another moment of great skill, drop, dropping his shoulder, beating the defender, and blasting, blasting it past Patricio, who seemed to get a late view of the ball. Palace had one more great opportunity that smashed off the crossbar from Wilfred Zaha uh, off the counterattack. Wolves just couldn't break down the stubborn Palace defense, securing a huge three points for them. Wolves played well, but were just unlucky to finish their chances. Uh, Their next few fixtures are not in their favor, uh, being Arsenal and Leicester City. Crystal Palace are just uh, just doing the bare minimum to earn these points uh, and must really build off this performance if they want to get a uh, a string of matches, a string of wins together. Uh, The next game in the 10 o'clock window was Manchester City. uh, First in the table. Playing dead last, Sheffield United. Quick water break. Jesus, I'm going to have a lot of those. As you have expected, Man City controlled this game, but looked vulnerable to give up the three points. Man City did rest some key players in this match. Uh, Sterling, Stones, Rodri and Cancelo being those. Uh, So, you had the likes of Jesus backing the start at 11, leading the attack. Uh, with only two goals this season. Also, Fernand Torres was involved there, too. Uh, Sheffield, on the other hand, with their usual 5-3-2, went with a young uh, attacking duo of Burke and Brewster, uh, leaving their top goal scorer, uh, Mick Aldridge, on the bench. The lone goal came in the eighth minute. a uh, off the ball from Ruben Diaz to the right-hand corner, uh, skimmed off a defender's head, uh, laying Fernand Torres in down the line, who created magic on the Sheffield goal line, wiggling his way past two would-be defenders, giving Jesus a tap-in from six yards out. Uh, that just shows you the the depth, the class, and the depth that Man City has to come off their bench when uh, other players leading the way, like Sterling, and um, Gonduin, when he needs off, can't, they could still bag in those goals, and keep earning the points because they're just a well-oiled machine. So it's going to be very hard for teams to keep up with them. But from here, City kept knocking on Sheffield's doorstep with no success to score a second. Uh, on Sheffield's, on Sheff, uh, To give Sheffield some credit, this looked like a great performance um, from previous seasons where they finished ninth. Uh, and Ramsdale, in goal for Sheffield, had a great match. To, for, to me, he was their man on the match. Uh, Stood on his head, made some crazy acrobatic saves, and um, can gain a lot of confidence in here when they have to go play uh, West Brown next week. Oliver Burke did his best to cause problems for City's defense, but just nothing came of it. And the chances were there for City, but Ramsdale just cut off the angles for City's players to finish off. Uh, Sheffield did have one final chance in the 86th minute, a long-range effort from John Fleck who it just was inches wide of the post Uh, to close out man city continue their run of dominance while sheffield can take a lot of credit a lot of positives out of this match uh the last match in this 10 o'clock window triple header was west brom facing fulham in a 2-2 draw which uh this match was the second most entertaining out of all the fixtures in my opinion this week uh relegation battle two relegation zone teams trying to fight out of that zone to for safety Uh, but Fulham controlled possession and the scoring opportunities for the most part but West Brom had spurts in the match that proved deadly Uh, West Brom came out in a 5-3-2 with Mateus Pereira being the most informed player for them going forward and Scott Parker set up his team in a 3-4-2-1 with Mitrovic As the central forward with support from Lookman and Loftus Cheeks on the wing. Uh, This is a rare start for Mitrovic. He hasn't started since, or he hasn't gotten a lot of game time since the beginning of the season back in August. It only took nine minutes for the first goal. Fulham controlled the whole first half, working the ball from back to front. Uh, Lookman found Mitrovic, who held up the ball well, waiting for his support to catch up. And Bobby de Cordova read found the ball, slipped it into him on the right flank, and buried it past Sam Johnston to give Fulham the early lead. And then the first half was much of the same in Fulham's favor. Lookman could have doubled the lead but rattled it off the post. Uh, to give Big Sam some credit, yeah, he must have gave them one hell of a halftime speech because the West Brown players came out in the second half with a fire lit under their asses. Uh, the first goal two minutes into the half coming from Kyle Bartley, a uh, cross coming in from Pereira, skimmed off a defender's boot coming to Bartley's feet and slotting it right in the goal uh, past Areola and then the second came from uh, Pereira from provider to score uh, making it four goals in his last four matches uh, West Westprom could have sealed the match with a third but a well-placed cross uh, yeah but with a well-placed cross across the goal line went untouched and out for a goal kick a little tongue twister there. Scott Parker made some tactical changes with subs, and and pay, it paid off for him. Harrison Reed whipped a uh, whipped a phenomenal cross to Cavalero, laid out for a header equalizing the game, and both were subs made by Parker, showing that he does have some tactical sense and can earn points based off of his judgment. And the shared points doesn't help either team realistically. Uh, with the nearest clubs getting wins. Cre- with the nearest clubs of them getting wins over the weekend, uh, creating an even bigger gap from the relegation zone, making it harder for those guys to get out. Uh, but both teams can take great things away from this result. Moving on to the twelve thirty match uh, Saturday, the game of the week. Most people would have said uh, Arsenal versus Manchester United, uh, heated rivalry of past, but nowadays it's kind of a bo- a, snor- a snore fest. Uh, confirming the. Confirming that statement by the result of 0-0. Uh, but Manchester United controlled most of the game. Neat but neither team could find that special moment to earn all three points. Arsenal went into this match with key play- with, uh, with key players not in the team sheet, sorry. Aubameyang was out with personal issues. And the pair of uh, Bakayosaka and Kieran Tierney were out due to injuries. Uh, also, Martin Odegaard, the recent transfer acquisition on loan till the end of the season uh, from Real Madrid, found his way on the subs bench to potentially make his debut for the club. Uh, also, Cedric and Martinelli filled in as the replacements. Everything else was the same from the victory over Southampton previously. Manchester United on the flip side go back to their strong lineup. Luke Shaw and Victor Lindelof come back into the back line. The usual partnership of Fred and McTominay were in front of the defense and you had Cavani getting the start over Anthony Martial up front which proved to be very costly for United this game went similar to how United's previous meeting with Liverpool in the league went uh, in my opinion there were a few chances and a huge battle in the midfield for control of the game uh, but in my opinion United's midfield won the duel on the day controlling the tempo of the game Pepe Coming off a goal in the previous match. Had the chances for Arsenal. Missing the far post on three separate occasions. He just couldn't uh, find it in him to put it away. Lacazette probably had the best chance in the match overall. Hitting the crossbar off a free kick just outside the United box. uh, Early in the second half. And also Smith-Rowe continued to show Arsenal fans that he can find himself in great areas. To put the ball away. but but just didn't happen today. Cavani on the other end should have scored one one of two gimmies, which would have given more confidence to Ali in picking him in future matches. Odegaard did come on as a sub, but didn't have chemistry with his teammates to make anything happen. And then I know Evan hates William, and if you guys didn't see on Twitter, he's the biggest threat to world peace right now, uh, even more than Vladimir Putin and even Kim Jong-un. Uh, but William came on and continues to show that he's probably one of the biggest flop signings of the summer. Uh, definitely the number one flop for Arsenal this year. Martial came in off the bench for United and put up a mediocre performance. And in conclusion, uh, Arsenal can be happy with this draw, I would say, because even without key players, they can still compete with the top teams, top-end teams. Um, that might You might not agree with that. Uh, I know Evan probably won't because he the he thinks, and it's starting to show now for me too that our uh, Manchester United, I should say, are starting to show their true colors. Um, their Manchester United is just having trouble with beating the established cl- clubs in the league, and it shows in their in their their games when you look at it on the on the um stat lines. They just need to have an extra gear in these high-profile matches to display that maybe they can compete for the Premier League title this year or in the years to come. I know Bruno just said today that he he's willing to stay at the club until they win, they win some big trophies. And, I mean, similar to um, a, a Man City player. Aguero, Aguero said the same thing in 2012, I think. He said he's going to stay at the club until... They win a Champions League, and that still hasn't happened, and he's not playing for them anymore because of his injuries, and also I just don't think he has it anymore. Um, moving on to the final match on the Saturday slate, we have Southampton dropping, oh, sorry, I should say Southampton 0, Aston Villa 1. Um, yeah, Southampton controlled possession well but were equal to Villa with scoring opportunities. Southampton had some positive moves coming into this fixture, having Nathan Redman and Orel Rameu and also Ryan Bertrand back in their starting 11, uh, probably resting them for a bit and also Redmond coming back from injury. Aston Villa, though, with no changes to their lineup from the previous match. Uh, Southampton opened the game with control, but the first chance came from Ollie Watkins, who scuffed the ball wide of the far post. Watkins having two in his last two matches. A few minutes later, Danny Ings shows why he's so dangerous. Uh, Flicking the ball past Douglas Louise and drilling a ball across the box to Armstrong, who shoots shoots the ball from the 12-yard mark, uh, the ball deflecting off Matty Cash's hand. Uh, Controversially, VAR ruled no penalty and play continued. Aston Villa weathered a barrage of Southampton attacks and were rewarded with a goal coming from Ross Barkley playing uh, playing down the left flank and across from skipper Jack Grealish led to Barkley heading the ball past a stationary uh, McCarthy. Barkley recently back from a serious injury that sidelined it, sidelined him for a few months, uh, giving the villains the lead. The next clear chance came in the 70th minute. Uh, Danny Ings, again, the creator, finding Che Adams off the bench in on goal, uh, but Martinez was equal to the shot, keeping Villa in front and then just like the first half with the uh potential penalty from VAR uh, another another goal disallowed for Southampton this time Danny Ings off the rebound crashing the net put the ball, away the ball to equalize the score but once again VAR ruled uh this again in, against their favor once again with a with his arm offsides now if if you go watch it it's a debatable call uh, but it went in the favor of Aston Villa. he was on sides, but his arm was off yeah It's very controversial. It's a loose ruling of the of the rule and the law. It's something that's really got to be looked at v a r in general because it does have such a major effect on outcomes of the game, and it costs it costs teams a lot of money and points come the end of the year um but in the end, Aston Villa did get a massive three points, which kept them in the top half of the table, while Southampton, now on a three-match losing streak, uh, have to face a Manchester United team in their next match, which should turn out to be a decent match to watch. Um, looking back at the previous tie where United won 3-2, uh, getting a comeback win. Moving on to Sunday slate, uh, opening it up at 7 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, we had Chelsea defeating Burnley 2-0. Uh, from start to finish Chelsea dominated this game holding Burley to only one chance the entire match with a defensive masterclass from Tuchel and the boys uh the defensive unit and tactics uh were there and on point Chelsea came out in the same formation as the last match in a 3-4-2-1 Werner, Abraham, Mount and Alonso the changes from the last match Alonso uh being featured for the first time since September uh and also N'Golo Kante on the bench now, back in training from a minor injury. It's huge news for Tukul for future matches. And uh, one of the main stories I would say is still no Rhys James and Chilwell in the starting 11, which is very interesting. Uh, I don't know if it's due to injury. I know Rhys James got uh, late in the second half. He got subbed in for Hudson-Odoi at right wing back, but should be interesting to see what his lineup is uh, Thursday against Spurs in a London derby, which is massive. For both teams. But Burnley in their standard 4-4-2. Came out. Uh, very stout defense. Uh, only one change. Vidra partnering Chris Wood up top. With Ashley Barnes uh, out with injury. Chelsea early on had a few moments. Where they were tested defensively. And showed their resilience. Thiago Silva be, for being 36. Is still one of the best at his position. Leading by example at the center of the back line. He is aggressive in 50-50 challenges positionally aware of his surroundings and knowing when to step into a challenge and when to fill in for teammates pushing further up the pitch. Uh, I really hope he stays around until we can land a huge signing to replace him because he adds a whole new element to the team and with his experience and leadership it also helps with such a young a young team overall especially in the attacking end. The midfield play from Jorginho and Kovacic went very well in this matchup. Jorginho played as the deep-lying playmaker, taking out passes around the entire field, opening up the Burnley defense, with Kovacic playing that box-to-box role, showing his high fitness level and getting up and down the pitch, as well as creating problems for the Burnley defense when driving forward with the ball. Oh my god. I'm getting dry breath over here. My mouth. <clears throat> Okay, Alonso and Hudson-Odoi at the right wing-back roles played extremely well. This role was made for Alonso by Antonio Conte when he first came to the club back in 2015. He performs well getting forward and causes problems for opposing defenses when moving forward. Uh, hudson Adoy has been thrown into this position by Tuchel and is working to his delight, surprisingly. Whenever there was a chance for Chelsea, hudson Adoy was an integral part in the build-up. And I wouldn't be surprised if we didn't see Reese James for the next couple fixtures uh, continuing on if his he's 100% fit. Or if it's going to be Hudson-Odoi who continues to impress and he might make this position his own. But the front three at Chelsea is the main problem. A lot of people can see that. Uh, with many great options going forward, that could start for the team. And really could start for any team in the league and even across Europe. The problem is picking a consistent unit and getting them to do their jobs and score lots of goals. But on the day you had Werner, Abraham, and Mount, who had plenty of opportunities to claim their spot in this lineup. Mount and Werner having the most chances and pulls this game off the bench in the second half, who had a handful of chances coming out to nothing. But I'm pretty confident that these guys will, within the system under Tuchel, will bag a lot of goals. And I think The Tottenham game this Thursday will be an example of these guys succeeding in this formation and system. Uh, The goals, though, today came from unlikely providers in Azpilicueta and Alonso, assists from Hudson-Odoi and Pulisic, respectively. Burnley were chasing the game the whole time and struggled. The match could have ended 5-0 in Chelsea's favor. This is exactly where we want to be going into a massive London derby against Tottenham and Mourinho. I'm sure we'll be planning something devious. And for Burnley, this doesn't bode well heading into an unfriendly match, uh, an unfriendly meeting with Manchester City, where it will be most where it will be most of the same as this match, probably. Okay, moving on to the second match of the Sunday slate. We had Leicester City one, Leeds United three. Big upset. And I did take them on the show, and it did pay out for me pretty well. Uh, whenever Leeds play, whenever Leeds plays, you know it will be an entertaining match, and this one did not disappoint. Uh, the match was back and forth with great chances from both teams. Leeds just had that extra gear and extra bit of fitness, um, and the loss of Jamie Vardy was very apparent uh, with Jose Perez up front. Leicester only with one change in the midfield uh, from the last match. You had Mendy coming in for Wilfred Ndidi, who needed who was out. Uh, with uh, fitness and was sorely missed. No changes to Leeds. Marco Bielsa rarely makes any changes to his team unless absolutely necessary. Lester opened up the scoring, though, in the 12th minute with link of play between Harvey Barnes and James Madison, the two young Englishmen. Uh, The middle of the field was wide open for both teams to take advantage of. Barnes slotting the ball past Meslier. Leeds, like the savages they are, instantly reply with a goal from Stewart Dallas. Luke uh, Galen bombing up the right wing finds Bamford up front who finds the run of Dallas and he like Barnes finds the bottom left corner of the goal two goals followed for, for each side that were disallowed due to offsides and VAR and both goalies had their work cut out for them but proved to come up big in crucial moments after the half Brendan Rodgers made some tactical changes to try and combat the Leeds attack uh, but didn't work for him uh, being Mark Albrighton coming out for Su- Suyuncin, uh the Turkish center back who is just getting back into the swing of things after a long injury. Uh, following a barrage of Leicester pressure, Leeds won the ball in Leicester's half, and Bamford scored the goal of the weekend, in my opinion. Uh, Rafinha collects the ball in the middle in the midfield, playing a cutting through ball into Bamford's feet. He let it come come across his body. And first time hit a snipe into the top ends of the net. Pass Kasper Casper Schmeichel. Breaking a four-match goal drought. Bamford shows his class in this team system. <sighs> the following 10 minutes, Leeds struggled to hold their lead. But whether the storm off a quick counterattack, Bamford was in on goal and passed it to Harrison, who had an easy tap-in to secure the three points on the day. This should give Leeds uh, great confidence as they finally get all three points against a top-end team, which they've struggled to do so. Uh, and for Leicester, they couldn't hang with Leeds, their high fitness levels, uh, the full 90 minutes. just They just couldn't compete, as well as um, they were exposed uh, of how much Jamie Vardy provides to this team system. Uh, hopefully, they can turn things around against a, a raising Fulham squad. All right, the third match. The penultimate match of the Sunday slate, we have West Ham 1, Liverpool 3. This was a performance that Jurgen Klopp should be proud of. Liverpool controlled the tempo of the match and continued to to score multiple goals. Uh, West Ham was just outclassed on the day and couldn't take advantage of the inexperienced backs of Liverpool, Uh, the partnership being Jordan Henderson and Matt Matt Phillips. West Ham coming into this match were unbeaten in the new year. And made no changes to a system proving successful. Liverpool on the other hand with multiple changes again. No Mane in the squad. Picked up a knock from the Spurs match earlier. In the week. And Firmino starting on the bench. Meaning Origi and Shakiri start up front. With Salah as the central forward. Uh, and like I said before. The center back partnership of Henderson and Phillips. In the middle. Uh, the 12th, the 12th different, different partnership. They've had this season back there. Origi early on popped up in dangerous areas, but just not having the final product. Uh, a good amount of chances fell to him and Shakiri due to the West Ham defense focusing on stopping Salah. Thiago in the midfield uh, for Liverpool continued, continued to show off his passing skills and why he was just a great acquisition for the club, picking out players in great areas of the field to create scoring opportunities. Uh, the first 10 minutes of the second half, though leaned heavily in Liverpool's favor. A constant pressure on the West Ham defense broke broke him and opened the scoring. Curtis Jones, fresh off the bench, drives through the West Ham midfield, picking out Salah, who did the rest and hit a finesse in the back corner. Ten minutes later, Liverpool scored again off the textbook counterattack, going the length of the pitch with only two passes. Alexander-Arnold finding Shakiri on the left wing, who then plays a dime pass, first time to Salah. Uh, who magnificently brings it down and flicks the ball past Fabianski to double Liverpool's lead. Later in the match, Mino and Oxley chamberlain came in and set up Wijnaldum for the third, uh, leaving Craig Dawson a late consolation goal for West Ham to end the match. This was a standard result and performance from Liverpool's side we expected to see all season. Uh, with injuries piling up, and especially in the defense, it's hard to consistently put the results like this together. Uh, hopefully they can carry on facing a Brighton team coming off a huge win against Spurs. And we're going to touch on this in a couple minutes with the transfer window that Liverpool has been active. But for Liber- for West Ham, sorry, they are still in great form, I would say. Uh, sitting in fifth in the table, which is well above their expectations, I would guess. And they face another tough task, meeting a strong Aston Villa side uh, midweek. All right, moving on to the last match of the week. On the Sunday window, and and also the last match of this matchup uh, or this game week, Uh, like I said, we had an upset. Brighton won Tottenham nil. Um, sorry, I had to like take a breath to really emphasize that this game was painful to watch for the most part. Both sides, uh, mainly Tottenham. I should give Brighton some credit here; they played very well. Uh, like Leicester with Vardy, Spurs sorely missed Harry Kane up front with all that he does for this team. Uh, Spurs had most of the possession, but Brighton seemed to have the more dangerous opportunities to score. Brighton came out in a 3-5-2 with Neil Moupé and Tressard up front leading the way. And then you had Spurs um, come out with four changes, uh, them being Aldevar, Ben Davies, Sissoko, and Gareth Bale. Uh, early on Brain had their had the early chances top, top score from uh, I don't even know what I wrote here yeah just Brain early on had a lot of the better chances from Gross and McAllister but it was Trissard who scored in the 16th minute uh, his second of the season the back line of Tottenham looked disorganized and lost not picking up runners into the box uh, especially Ben Davies uh, lacking the, the urgency to really get back in front of his get goal side of his man, which ultimately ended in their goal, or ultimately ended in them conceding. Sun did all he could up front to be fair to him, but Bergwijn and Bale just couldn't cut it on the day. Bale is just a, a shell of what he used to be. Um, he should honestly just go play golf because he just doesn't have it in him anymore. He's just not showing it. I don't know whether it's the consistent game time he needs or what. He did ask to play in his preferred right wing position. Mourinho gave what he wanted and he just didn't do anything. So I don't know if he's going to come out again against Chelsea. It's going to be a big risk if he puts him out there, but it should be interesting to see. Lloris proved himself keeping the gap to only one and making several key saves. Uh, Carlos Vinicius did come on off the bench for Spurs, making the Brighton goalkeeper work for his clean sheet with a great opportunity. Uh, The Brighton goalkeeper stood on his head for it. Uh, It should have been 2 0 to Brighton late on, but Aldevarold late. Later on made a goal-line clearance uh, against Conley, who should have put the ball away but couldn't. Uh, And also you had LaMilla and Lucas come on as subs trying to change the game. But Brighton earned their first home win of the season, which was surprising. Uh, Took them 20 20 matches into the year to get their first home win. But even more importantly, they widened the gap from the relegation zone to 7 points. Clear, Fulham, their nearest uh, nearest team to leap them. in conclusion, Spurs looked absolutely terrible going forward. Uh, and also in defense, really. It was just an overall poor performance from them. They didn't come out uh, with any urgency. And, and it's looking really bad going into this matchup against Chelsea. I, Mourinho should be very worried here. Uh, for Brighton, on the other hand, this was massive for their confidence, showing that on the day, on their day, they can pull off big wins. And and um Graham Potter, who for this is Pep's words is the best English manager right now in the Premier League, so that's high high praise from uh someone like Pep and his uh from his um prestige and what he has to offer in advice and uh we're, it's going to be tested here coming against the reigning champions in Liverpool should really test up how how well their system is. Okay, that concludes the recap of all the games and breakdown, and I just brought up OBS and I'm already at 35 minutes. Wow. Well, this is a good note to shorten my notes and not go as in-depth, just so people don't get bored, I guess. Uh, Hopefully, if you're still here and you're not asleep and you're really into this stuff, I really appreciate it. Um, But quickly, I guess I'm gonna move on into the predictions. I'll try to keep them short and sweet since it's just me. Uh, I'm gonna go back and forth. Remember, I have Evans picks here. So the first game of the week, we have uh, Wolves hosting Arsenal. Um, Arsenal sitting in tenth, Wolves 14th. Arsenal still in decent form. Evan is backing his boys again. Uh, he can't. He can't ever be on the same page with them. But this week, he's going with an Arsenal win uh, against Wolves. Uh, Arsenal did provide great defensive stances against Man United, and also Southampton in the previous week. Wolves is a team that is struggling going forward and getting consistency. Um, I did like William Jose a lot in their previous match against Crystal Palace. He had a lot of great opportunities. He's filling into how Raúl Jiménez would play. Um, so I'm going to go on the limb. Uh, Saka Yosaka and Aubameyang are back in the training ground, uh, for training, so they should probably will make appearances in this game, which is very key for Arsenal's success, I should say. But um, I think I'm going to go with a draw here. I think Wolves get a draw. It's going to be big. I just don't know if Arsenal can get the multiple goals against Wolves. They are a very strong defensive team. They can get exposed at times, so I would not be surprised if Arsenal do come out strong, but I'm going to go with a draw here. The next match, also a 1 o'clock window on Tuesday, we have Sheffield United hosting West Brom, the bottom two teams in the league. Uh, Evan is going with a West Brom win, and likewise, I am going to go the same way. Uh, Big Sam has been active in the transfer window. He has brought in four guys, uh, a lot of decent signings. Uh, The the latest one going through right now is uh, Ainsley Maitland-Niles from Arsenal. He's a very versatile player. He can play at a wingback. He can play in the center of the field. Uh, He can even play as a winger. He's very versatile, and that's a good loan move to bring in for West Brom right now. So Sheffield is turning out to... They did put in a great performance against Man City, like I said earlier. I don't know. I think Sheffield will be more open in this game due to how West Brom is also defensive. So, I think this will be an open game. So, I will agree with Evan here. I'm going to go with West Brom. (laughs) Moving on to the late window on Tuesday. The first match, Man United hosting Southampton. Evan is going with a Manchester United win. Coming off a snorp draw against Arsenal. He thinks they're going to get the double over Southampton. Uh, The first match up here, Southampton did have control of the game and had a 2-1 lead but man united coming out with a late win i believe i believe cavani had the had the winner and the two late goals i'm trying to scroll back here for you guys uh it's pretty far back there it is uh yeah cavani had two two late goals coming on as a sub um but his form right now just doesn't match up to that Danny Ings is a very dangerous player. Um, I don't know if Manuet is going to rotate players in the defense. Uh, McGuire did pick up a knock in the back, but I think he will be okay. If McGuire does not play, it's going to be very open for Ings in there. Um, I'm going to lean with a draw here as well. I just don't see a clear winner. Um, if I had to pick, I think i go with Southampton, but I think this will also be a draw. Closing out the Tuesday window, we have Newcastle hosting Crystal Palace. Very interesting matchup. Uh, Evan is going with a draw, though. He doesn't see a clear winner here. Uh, I would say Newcastle coming up with a bigger win over Everton uh, compared to Crystal Palace over Wolves. But a win is a win in the Premier League, which is hard to do, especially on a consistent basis, which both of these teams cannot do. But I think if... St. Maximin is given a bigger role. Newcastle will win this game. Uh, Steve Bruce is starting to get the ball rolling there. Crystal Palace did come out. If, if they come out with Van Aylen and Klein and go attacking as they did with SA2, it's going to be an, a wide open match. I think it'll be a lot of goals, but I'm going to back the Toon Army as well. I'm going to go with Newcastle here. Okay, moving on to Wednesday, Wednesday's window. Five matches first being Man City Burnley uh, short and sweet for you guys Evan went with City I'm also going to go with City they're probably going to rotate some players I think Sterling will be back in there John Stone should be back in there it should be a conventional win for Man City moving on to the second match we have Fulham hosting Leicester City Fulham getting a 2-2 draw against West Brom Leicester off that defeat of Leeds interesting to say here cuz Fulham at times can look structured and they do look more and more ta- uh, dangerous on the attack. Uh, Leicester on the other hand rely heavily on their midfielders to create everything. Now that Jamie Vardy's not there. I'm going to go with I'm going to go with a Leicester win here. I think I have to. I think they will squeak it out. I don't know. I in my gut, in my deep gut, I want to say Fulham uh, to get a draw, I don't see them winning. With the with the class of Madison and Tillemans. I'm sure indeed he will slide back in there. But I have to go with a Leicester win here. Next up, we have Leeds hosting Everton. Evan coming out with the Leeds, he thinks Leeds is going to go on a roll. It's hard to say, especially against this Everton team. Uh, it's going to be a very open match, which I think James will eat up. It's going to be a lot of whip crosses in. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm going to go with an Everton win here. I think it's hard because Leeds are rolling right now off that big win, but I think Everton get a much-needed win for them to keep themselves in that European race. So Everton here on the win. Next up, we have uh Aston Villa hosting West Ham. Evan is going with a draw. He doesn't see one team having an advantage over the other here. Um me on the other hand, I don't know. I think I'm gonna go with Aston Villa. I think they keep they keep the ball rolling here. Uh, only having only having two wins in their last five, I think they get some consistency back here and really use those games in hand. Um, West Ham, on the other hand, I think this is where they start to follow. But I think this is where the cracks start to happen for David Moyes and his side. Uh, just attacking, they can't put consistent weeks of scoring a lot of goals. So I think Aston Villa here do score do score a lot, and I think they win. And finally, the last game on Wednesday, we have Liverpool hosting Brighton, both getting big wins over their opponents previous week. Evan thinks Liverpool continue, and I do as well. I think Mane will be back in. I think Firmino will get back in the lineup. Uh, we may see Diego Jota. Uh, I doubt it, but he probably will be back in training soon after his long injury, which will add a vital bit of juice into their attack and give them some depth off the bench so i as well will go with a liverpool win and finally closing it out we have the thursday games only one three o'clock game it is the london derby. i'm very excited for this game we have tottenham hosting chelsea uh evan is going with a chelsea win after their performance against burnley and the, the slump spurs are in I have to go with the Chelsea win here. I think this is the game where Werner, Mount, and Pulisic start opening things up. Uh, I'd like to see Zietch in this game, too. I think he will really dominate, uh, especially whipping balls in from the right to left, uh, attacking that sort Serge Aurier side, which is a huge weak point. So I think Chelsea's going to win here big. Okay, that puts us at the 45-minute mark. Um. Quickly, uh, over the transfer window, which is closing very, very soon. There's a lot of late things going on right now. Uh, like I said, the Maitland-Niles deal on West Brom is going through slowly. Liverpool uh, did pick up two to Vendors, uh, one being the Shelka center back, Kabak. Great pickup for them for the rest of the season, as well as Ben Davies from the championship, who looks to be a great signing very cheap bargain deal. Uh Liverpool did come out just now and say that Joel Matip will miss the remainder of the season doing an uh an ankle ligament injury. Uh he has to go. He's he's missed more time than actually played. He he has to go. There's no point in having him there. He's just wasting their wage bill. It's ridiculous. Just the amount of injuries he gets it hurts just hurts the club. Um other than that, we have Pullum sending out their backup striker on loan to the French League, uh, as well as Arsenal letting go of Mustafi, who was linked to Liverpool, but they are sending him to Schalke to replace the departed Kabak to Liverpool. So, Mustafi didn't get any game time, uh, so he's going back to his homeland of Germany to play. Um, other than that, we have talks of Minamino, backup winger for Liverpool potentially going to Southampton. I think that's a great pickup for them if that goes through for the rest of the season on loan. Deli Alley's being wasted on the bench for Tottenham. It's just he's fallen out of uh, favor with Mourinho Uh, and it's just he needs to get game time to continue his career with the Euros coming up this summer and eventually the World Cup in a couple years. And other than that there's not really any other groundbreaking transfer news Uh, That's never really how it is in January. Um, It always happens in the summertime, which we'll probably touch on when that comes. But to keep this under 50 minutes, which um, I'm going to try to cut down as weeks go if I continue with this format. But thank you guys so much for listening. Um, Make sure you guys uh, head over to our social medias, like our content, interact with our content. If you're really into the, the soccer world or you're just getting into it, Just hit us up. Let us know what's going on, what clubs you support. Or if you're in other sports, let us know what's going on in that. Uh, But other than that, thank you guys so much for listening. I will catch you guys on Friday. I'm not sure if Evan will post a Wake Up Wednesday this week, but we'll we'll have to wait and see until then. Uh, But until then, next time, uh, see you guys.